Oh my God, Becky, look at her butt. Hi, and welcome to the Stop Chasing Skinny radio program, where every Tuesday night we talk about what it takes to live a fit life. And it's not always about just fitting into a certain size of anything or um, be having a certain appearance. And I really like to invite guests onto the show that are going to talk to us about how to live a fit life from the inside out and a very holistic approach. So tonight, my guest is Ann White. Ann and I go way back. Um, I was a lifeguard when I was in college. I went to the University of South Florida um, before I joined the Navy. And so Ann and I were lifeguards together on Clearwater Beach. Um, gosh, that was that was a lot of fun back then. Um, and then once I joined the Navy, I ended up moving away. And we kind of lost touch. And Anne's going to tell a little bit more about that story. But we lost touch for a little bit. And then once I launched my online fitness program, the SK Fit Life Challenge, Anne signed up immediately. I was so excited to see her name come across the registration list and reconnect with her on Facebook a little bit prior to that. Um, but really, Working with Anne within the Fit Life Challenge has been great, and I've been able to really connect with her um, throughout life. And then um, I'm going to add a couple pictures into the show notes. We did a Tough Mudder race together in Florida, which was fun. Uh, we did that last year, and so now um, Anne's her career path has changed from when I very first met her, and her story is amazing. And I hear a lot of these things um, that Anne is going to talk about. I hear this on a regular basis. And um, having a good bit of experience in this whole field based on my own personal experience, my family's experience, that kind of thing, um, and now my professional experience, I felt like it was a really, really important topic. And um, so I'm going to turn it over to Anne so she can share a little bit more about her story, her background, and, um, and what we're going to be talking about today. So, so obviously, uh, Stephanie introduced me and Anne, um, and, uh, yeah, so Stephanie and I took kind of a friendship hiatus, I would say, for a little while, um, and, you know, uh, in getting back, actually, when she contacted me to join FK Fit Life, um, it was very ironic because I was literally looking for a group to help me kind of increase my, my healthy living because, uh, just prior to connecting with SK Fit Life, um, I had gone through a lot of my own personal issues um, and, and was really looking for a healthy lifestyle. So uh, we'll probably get in touch with more of that after. But just to give you a little bit of my background is I, uh, I actually just recently finished my second master's degree. I have a master's in clinical mental health counseling. Um, I'm a registered mental health counseling intern with the state of Florida. And I'm about halfway through getting my licensure. Um, it takes about two years to get, so it's a long process. Um, I currently work as a residential counselor um, at a dual diagnosis slash co-occurring recovery center, which means I work with uh, males from 18 years old and up uh, with substance abuse disorders and mental illness, um, which means they both they have both of these at the time that they're entering. Um, our facility. And the mental illness can be anywhere from depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, schizoaffective, um, coupled with the substance use. Um, I've done eight months of an internship um, where I actually worked in a secured unit at a hospital working with all co-occurring patients, which are those patients that have substance use disorders as well as mental illness. 
Um, so I just wanted to actually preface a little bit of what I'm doing here because as a counselor, we don't do a lot of self-disclosure, but for FK's Bit Life and for Stephanie, I really felt it was important to, to share my story because I know Stephanie's always putting out her story. And in sharing my story, I feel like it really empowers other people to come out with their stories, too, because um, they realize, like, hey, I'm not alone. And, um, you know, hopefully um, I can provide you with, with some good information that will help you to either increase your health or, you know, change something in your life. Well, thank you for that. Um, yeah, that's a very impressive um, background. And I think it's really great that you are using your own personal experience and your journey to um, help others now that you have, um, you've, you know, you've made it onto the other side and you, you're healthy and, um, and you're feeling great. So one of the biggest things, and, and, you know, obviously Anne's story, and she'll really get into this in a little bit, but um, her story is very, um, it's very touching. And like I said in the intro, I see this a lot. I see it on um, a very frequent basis. And one of the most frequently asked questions of me as a fitness professional is, do I have to give up my wine? And people are talking about that in terms of weight loss or fat loss. Do I have to give up my, specifically wine, alcohol in order to get in shape? And um, really, then my next question is, well, how much are you drinking? And so sometimes I'll get the, well, just, just like one a night. And I'm like, one glass or one bottle? And I, you know, it's, it's pretty surprising to see how many people are as the one bottle. And it's not hard to do. You know, you cook, you, you're cooking dinner, you have a glass of wine. You have a glass of wine or two with your dinner and you have one after and there your bottle is gone. Um, so a lot of people don't realize that this actually is a problem. Um, I've also had people who join my program and they will say things like, hopefully your program will help me to not drink so much. Now, I know that the main purpose here is to lose weight, but if somebody is, is coming to me and saying this, then that actually is um, an even deeper problem, which we don't really realize because it's so, um, it's so acceptable in society to have drinks as a, on a regular basis. So, um, I really, I, I wanted to bring this up because I see, um, I see this in disordered. So like if you have an eating disorder, a full blown eating disorder, it's kind of obvious, um, or it's way more obvious if it's a full blown eating disorder, the same thing as having, being an alcoholic and, um, and consuming a large amount on a regular basis. What is challenging is that part leading up to it because somebody who has disordered eating, right? So it's, it's, it's not eating disorder. It's disordered eating where maybe you obsess over calories in calories out. Maybe you weigh yourself multiple times during the day. Now, you know, some people may not even realize that that's a problem, but that actually is a problem because you can't stop it. You feel compelled to do it. It's not benefiting you and, and you're, you're, you know, you're running around with that in your head all the time. It's consuming a lot of your thoughts. And I would have to say that there's, it's very similar in alcoholism and, and you're going to have to fill me in on this in just a minute, but, um, and with alcoholism, you know, what about those years leading up to somebody being a full blown alcoholic? I mean, you don't just decide, well, some people do, but some people do just start drinking heavily, but for the most part, it's this very slow process where at first you come home and you just take the edge off with the drink. And then it's, you know, it's very social. I spent plenty of years. I mean, I was in the Navy. Come on. 
and I could keep up with the boys. So I drank like a fish. I know I did. Um, wasn't healthy for me. Um, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone, but I also know what it feels like to wake up every day being hungover. Um, so, you know, that's, so it, it can be pretty insidious. Um, and then you finally get to this boiling point and, you know, you don't know quite how you got there. So, um, Anne, could you share a little bit more about, about this whole, you know, slow leading up to it, that whole process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, alcohol consumption is like, it's just such a part of like society in general and it's so accepting by everyone. Um, you know, I mean, just thinking about like the holidays, it's like anytime you have a party, for the most part, most holiday parties and celebrations can, you know, there's some sort of alcohol consumption or alcohol being served. Um, it's something that you celebrate. Um, you know, even just recently, is kind of when I was thinking about this, is, um, you know, my dad was so excited because um, just part of my personal uh, history is my boyfriend actually just asked my dad. Um, for my hand in marriage, and I haven't been asked yet, but <laughs> um, he he was so excited, you know, like his form of celebration was, well, I want to celebrate, and he pulled up his finest bottle of scotch, you know, so sitting around, and we were just toasting something as, you know, light as that, but it's, you know, it's almost, you use champagne to celebrate weddings, and birthdays, and, you know, New Year's Eve coming up, and you know, so it, it's so prevalent in society that it's just, it's accepted. Like, it's okay. You know, there's, there's no problem with it. As long as you're 21, you're, you can drink alcohol. And, um, you know, I think with that, you know, there's so many parts of our lives. Like, I know for myself, when I've grown up, um, you know, watching my parents celebrate, you know, drinking alcohol. So it's like, oh, well, you know, alcoholics used to relax. It's used to have fun. Um, you know, and, and so that's what I was watching as, a, as I was growing up. And so kind of when I got to college, you know, the alcohol was a lot more free-flowing. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, partook in that. And, you know, whether it was the week or the weekend, you know, it was accepted because everybody else was doing it. Um, you know, so I so I learned, I guess, at a young age that alcohol was what you used to to deal with stress, to deal with, you know, your daily issues. It's like, oh, you know, if I just have a, a glass of beer, I'll be, you know, I'll be good. It'll just take that, you know, take that edge off, as you were saying. You know, and that is literally the mentality that you start to get into, and society pretty much promotes that. Um by doing that, by accepting, like, oh, you know, the bar down the street, hey, let's go out for a drink because, you know, it's, you know, a happy hour. So, you know, it starts, it starts early. I mean, it starts when you're in the house with your parents, provided, you know, most people see it as accepting, provided you don't have, grow up in a house where, you know, alcohol is a real issue, you know, and you're watching your parent or loved one whoever you're living with or somebody close, you know, having an issue. Otherwise, it's, it's the families go through watching it as an acceptable part of life. Um, 
Well, and even like me, I mean, I grew up in a house where my dad was an alcoholic. Thank God he's sober now. It's awesome. But, um, you know, it's so I, you know, I already knew that I had to watch it, but it, it has never kept me away from it. And thank goodness, you know, I've, I've had a, a I'm, I'm good with alcohol. Like I, I drink it occasionally and it's fun. But I, I will agree with you that it's not just socially acceptable, but I have been criticized on multiple occasions for not partaking in alcohol. And I've gone, I've, you know, I've gone through a few times where I just decide I don't want any alcohol. And some of it's been through fitness competitions and, you know, you're trying to get that lean. You can't gunk up your liver like that. Um, and then other times have just been like, I'm just too focused on work. It's just, I'm, I'm busy. I just have other goals. I don't really feel like it. Sometimes I just don't feel like it. Um, or I'm tired of feeling like garbage the next day. So I'll just, you know, forego it for a little bit. And, and I, you do get some pretty funny. And, and when I say no, thank you, I really just say no, thank you. I'm not like, oh, no, thank you. And alcohol is the devil. <laughs> I'm just like, no, thanks. But, um, you know, that is kind of hard for people to understand maybe why you would turn something like that down, which blows my mind totally. Um, well, it doesn't blow my mind because I understand psychology and I understand, you know, why people want you to do the same thing they're doing. But, um, but it, that stuff happens. It's very prevalent. Um, so we're just, we're going to take a really quick break. And as soon as we come back, I want Anne to share her story and it'll give you a better frame of reference of where she's coming from as, um, as she's going through all of these. So we'll be right back. I may be just a foolish dreamer, but I don't care. Cause I know my happiness is waiting somewhere. Welcome back to the Stop Chasing Skinny radio program, where tonight we have Ann White on. She is a clinical uh, therapist, right? Is that what your title is? Um, she, uh, clinical mental health counselor. Clinical mental health counselor. Um, so yeah. you might hear that and think like, oh, you know, like that's, I don't know. I mean, I've been around mental health counselors a lot my whole life. Um, I think that, you know, I just heard something the other day, like having a having a counselor or therapist is like the new thing, you know, like, oh, my therapist is awesome. So it's not something, it's not bad. It helps you work through stuff and have a much better life. Um, we all have junk. And I think that people who suppress it the most have um you have kind of the hardest time so it's so much better just to put it out there talk about it figure it out um which is what Anne ended up doing so can you share your story with us yes absolutely and um I just need to make sure we clarify that I'm, I'm a registered intern uh, in mental health counseling because um you know I'm not licensed so I want to make sure that people definitely understand that um, okay thank you <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. Just please, please that, disclose yeah. everything you need to disclose because I don't really. I mean, I know what I need to know for my profession, but um, yeah. So disclose whatever you need to disclose. Yeah, <laughs> no worries. Um, and it gets confusing, so I completely understand. I just want to make sure you know nobody gets confused about that. Um, all right. So um, as Stephanie was saying, like there was a lot that led up to me actually getting um, you know my degree and actually becoming a, a, a registered mental health counseling intern. 
Um, and that was pretty much, um, it started back in about 2003. Um, I had a bad breakup with a boyfriend. Um, we were living together, you know, the whole thing. And so I moved out um, and I actually ended up, the, I was teaching at the time. I was a teacher, um, which is what my first master's degree is in is education. So I, um, you know, I had actually lost my job and was, I needed to start at a new school. Um, pretty much it was budget cuts type of thing. It happens a lot here in Florida. Um, so I had lost my job. I had to find a new one. And it, it was the, in the same district, just a different school. Um, and so I had a bad breakup. I was starting a new school. And, um, you know, I started and, and I was sick for probably about four weeks the beginning of school. And for me, I didn't really think much of it because working in a school system, you know, you, you just get sick. So um, I recovered. Um, I definitely was not eating healthy at the time, but I was, you know, I was running. I, I hooked back up with a running group that I had drifted away from for a couple of years um, because I was in that relationship. And kind of what was happening is I was in a state of depression, and I didn't recognize it. And my only coping mechanism was alcohol that I had learned when I was in college. So I ended up, you know, I would go bonding with my runner club, and, you know, what we would normally do is go out after, and we would have a, a beer, and you would have dinner. So, you know, I did that uh, twice a week with them, and then I ended up making good friends with a couple people in the runner's club, and, you know, started going out three or four times a week, and that was kind of my norm. Um, and I wasn't getting drunk every time. I wasn't, you know, getting smashed. I was having a glass of wine, a couple glasses of wine, or a glass of beer. Um, you know, nothing that people would typically associate with being an alcoholic, but I was using it as a coping mechanism. I ate well. I ran you know, so in my mind, I was like, well, I'm doing the same thing I need to do to be healthy. But other things that were happening was I was starting to get apathetic towards, you know, going into work in the morning. I was dragging myself out of bed. You know, some days I had a little bit of a hangover. Um, you know, I was staying out late. And it, it was kind of becoming a snowball effect. Um, and by the time... I would say February came along. Actually, it was right at the end of February. Um, I went out on a Friday night. I was exhausted from my um, from my week at work being a teacher, um, and I consumed a lot of alcohol. I uh, ended up. I was actually in a vehicle accident. Um, Vehicle on vehicle, it was a fit if I ran from the scene because I knew that I, you know, had been consuming alcohol and I said, oh my gosh, I don't want to get a DUI. So, um, later I was caught. <laughs> um, the gentleman followed me and I spent 16 hours um, in a holding cell. And that was literally my rock bottom. And, um, and actually, this is the first time I'm telling this whole story to 
you know, out loud to a lot of people. So You're brave. Um, and this is going to help more people than you know because really you, I mean, I have known you since, what, it's been like, 14 years, 13 years, something like that. So, you know, and you're the same person. You've been the same person the whole time. You were a teacher. You were high. You had a high education level. You were fit. You were, I mean, like all of these things that you wouldn't really put, you know, you were successful in, in so many areas of your life. And even though you had gone through this breakup and this, you know, people, we do that. We go through breakups. We go through job changes. But you had all of these things going for you and still you found yourself in this situation. I mean, it can happen to anybody is the point here. So sorry, go ahead. Absolutely. I mean, it can, it can definitely happen to anyone, you know, and that's kind of the point that I want to tell the story is because most people, you know, like you said, Stephanie, most people see me and they see, Oh wow, this you know person has it together. And, you know, she's a, you know, a counselor and all this stuff. And it's just like, well, you know, there's a, there's a lot more to the story, and I don't have it all together. None um, of us do, by the way. You know, <laughs> Not yeah, any one of us. Yeah, and, and that, that's absolutely true. It's like, you know, no matter what, it's like there's always a deeper story behind everyone. So, you know, so, I mean, it took this to, like, make me, it was a wake-up call. And, you know, I, at, at that point, um, you know, I had to, I had to actually go and I had to talk to my principal and I had to let them know, like, hey, this happened. Because it, it all happened over a weekend. So, you know, I was back at work on Monday morning, you know. But this was like, you know, I had to go in. I had to face the music and say, okay, this is what I did. And uh, I ended up losing my, you know, teaching position because of unethical behaviors. And um, I, I had stopped drinking for two months. Um, and then... From that point on, um, I was looking for a job. I actually went back, ironically, I went back to um, the lifeguarding because I needed I needed a chance for myself to just kind of regroup and figure out what was going on with me um, mentally, you know, because this is a big game. You know, alcohol is a coping mechanism, but there's a lot more to it than just, you know, consuming alcohol. And so it took me... I think about a year to figure out, and thank goodness I had lifeguarding because it was a really relaxing job, yeah. um, believe it or not, mm-hmm. <laughs> staring at the water all day, um, and I'm saving a person here and there. Um, so I was able to kind of regroup, take the time, and figure out, okay, you know, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Because obviously, you know, alcohol is not going to do it for me. I stopped drinking um, for a while, and I was very cautious um, about my habits, even if I did pick up. And that's actually those thoughts about, like, every time I picked up, you know, a glass of wine, every time I went out for dinner, it was always in the forefront of my mind. It's like, okay, what's going to happen at the end? So it's kind of, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about playing the tape through. And I was doing this without going to an alcoholic seat. Um but that's because I've had the skills, um, you know, to kind of look at myself all growing up. You know, I constantly did that. I was constantly figuring out how I could do things differently. So that was an internal thing that I had going on, but I needed to harness that. So I spent actually the next probably three years trying to figure out 
me and trying to figure out what was what was my problem, what what was happening in my life, and what did I need to change. And if I hadn't hit that bottom, um, I wouldn't have recognized that I needed change because yeah. nobody else was doing that for me because nobody else knew the signs to look for. Um, so I was I was depressed, and I had an issue with with drinking. I had an issue with with alcohol. Um, what led me to mental health counseling is I was looking for a career change because I knew I didn't want to stay in life partying, um, but I knew I needed to change my career path. So I worked on that, and that's when I started. I had always wanted to do psychology, so I started to look into that. Um, along that same path, I knew I needed to start eating better because I was overweight. I was about 30 to 40 pounds overweight when I started my lifeguarding job. Um, and I think it was like another two years until I hooked up with, uh, with Stephanie. Okay, yep. Was it 2006? Was that right? Um, yeah, we um, launched in January of 2012. Okay. Oh, well, that was a lot longer. <laughs> yeah, well, for the program it was, but I think, um, didn't we, I think we connected before that, but once I, you know, I launched the challenge, um, you had, you had gotten yourself to a point where it was more refining instead of redefining kind of thing, or, you know, like it was just, it was refining everything you had been doing. You had brought, you brought yourself a really long way on your own. I think that's a really good point that you said too. Um, you don't always, I mean, obviously going to a professional is like, that's going to be your fastest route pretty much anytime, right? Cause you have somebody who's there, who's, who's guiding you through it, coaching you through it. Um, but doing your own self-discovery is huge. Like I, I've talked about this before. It's this pretty serious binge eating thing going on. I mean, I didn't, I just over-exercised to get rid of it, but, um, you know, like I, I never ended up in formal counseling for it, but I have read a billion books on it um, just to understand why I was doing it, how to stop it. Um, so I think that self-discovery piece, I think that's really important. And you, you know, you are a self-starter and you were like, I'm sick of living this way. So let's go ahead and, and, um, and do some of this other stuff. So that's, that's one of the things that I wanted to have you talk about because not everybody wants to go to AA and not everybody necessarily needs it. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of things that you can do on your own for self-discovery um, that will really help you and, some, and in some ways maybe help you even more. So we're going to take one really quick break. And then when we come back, I want Anne to go ahead and continue talking about what she's been talking about. But we're going to talk about um, some things that kind of help you to understand, you know, maybe do I have... Do, do I, is this a problem for me? Um, and I'll go ahead and share some of the phrases that I've heard over um, the years where, um, you know, it's been a red flag for me, but maybe it's not. So we'll ask Ann this question. So we write. She's back. not a bad girl because she made me see. Stop Chasing Skinny radio program, where every Tuesday night we talk to guests 
um, that will share their insights, their expertise into how we can make a better fit life. So tonight we have Ann White. She is talking to us about alcohol. Um, is it a problem? Is it not a problem? Um, more of those underlying things. You know, you do know that um, that maybe if, you know, she knew when she wrecked her car um, after consuming alcohol that this was obviously an alcohol-related incident. This is a problem. Um, I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into some of these more insidious things that we don't necessarily see as a problem. Like, um, you know, like feeling fuzzy in the morning, feeling a little lethargic, um, that anxiety and depression that you might feel the day after drinking too much that night before. How much is too much? You know, um, that kind of depends. So, and if we could go ahead and start talking about um, some of the things that you use, um, that you use personally, that you use as a professional to determine if this, if there may be a drinking problem happening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so some of the things that I do, because I, you know, through my self-discovery, I realized that, you know, I, I, I'm not an addict. Um, I didn't necessarily need Alcoholics Anonymous, um, or at least I didn't feel like I needed it. Um, but I still recognize I do have a problem, and I have to be very careful. And so some of the things that I do personally, because I still enjoy my glass of wine here and there, and you know, I still, you know, enjoy champagne and, you know, I, I'm, I'm an adult. I can, um, you know, drink some beverages, but I need to be very careful when I pick that up. So some of the things that I actually ask myself before I even go, you know, to get that glass of wine or, you know, even if I'm like on my drive home, cause like I drive an hour, so, and I have a stressful job. So, you know, one of the things I do is like, oh, I would really like to have a glass of wine. So I sit here and go, okay, you know, what is behind that glass of wine? Um, you know, it's like, am I wanting it because I'm stressed out? You know, what? what is it, my motivation to go and get that glass of wine? Am I trying to relax? So once I figure out kind of what my motivation is, then I'll say, you know, there might be something else I can do here. It's like, you know, I should probably go for a workout. And like, if I'm really that stressed out, it might be a workout that I need. Or it even might be just, I need to go home and just, you know, relax, chill out in front of the TV and just, you know, kind of do some mindless things. And I really have to do, you know, have to continue to ask myself the questions like, you know, when I'm going for that drink, what is it? What What is the reason I need that? Because as we discussed earlier, you know, society is like, well, you use it for relaxation. But it can be a very slippery slope, especially for somebody, you know, like myself who's had an issue with it before. Because I can go and I can have that one glass, and then, you know, like after I've finished that one glass, it's like, well, I've already had one. I've, you know, kind of consumed the calories that I didn't really want to. It's going to turn into sugar. So my rational mind sometimes will go, oh, you know, what about two? And so I have to be very careful with that because that is, that's part of the problem. That's part of the not saying no. It's like, but it's making me feel good. Um, yeah, I I noticed yeah. that too, and I, I I this is what I say about like the the you know the alcohol and the weight loss stuff. I've explained before how you know drinking alcohol it gunks up your liver, so it makes it harder to burn off the fat. It's not just the calories that you're consuming, but I also said you know looking more from like a very 
I don't, I don't even know what kind of standpoint this is, but a lot of times like, okay, so I'll have one glass and that's fine, but that makes me want a second glass. And the second glass makes my inhibitions go down, which leads to a third glass, which means I'll eat whatever I feel like eating because that's just, you know, because my inhibitions are way down at that point. And so then you wake up and you not only feel, you know, maybe hungover a little bit fuzzy headed from, you know, that third glass of wine, but now you've consumed things you wouldn't have consumed and you're like, oh, the food guilt, or I actually feel awful from the whatever I ate late last night. I mean, that's, I think that's a cycle that people don't really realize. It's not just the alcohol that you're consuming. I mean, that's a different kind of slippery slope, but it's all slippery slopes. And you have a point at, at, you, you, at any point you can just decide, no, I'm done with this. We're not doing this anymore. So, um, yeah, like I love what you said about, you know, am I drinking to like to feel high or good or um, am I looking forward to that drink on my ride home? <laughs> that's, you know, that's a big one. Um, yeah, those are. And also, paying, yeah, and also paying attention to like how much, you know, are you consuming? It's like, did you do this yesterday? You know, did, did you have a drink or two yesterday? Um, you know, and. Because it can become, a, it can start to become a habit. You know, it's like if you use it yesterday, because yesterday was a stressful day, and then you drank three glasses of wine yesterday, you know, and then you're, you know, on the way home, you're going, well, I'd really like to have that glass of wine because it felt so good yesterday. And that, again, like I said, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, it, it, they say play the tape through. You didn't play the tape all the way through because you woke up in the morning, you were tired, you were anxious. You know, you're exhausted because you didn't get a good night's sleep because you probably stayed up later because you're in position. <laughs> you probably ate more than you should have. <laughs> yeah, it is that slippery slope, you know, that, that cycle. And you can get very easily into it. Yeah, true story. Last night um, was my boyfriend's Coast Guard Christmas party. And I woke up this morning, totally had a headache because I totally drank four glasses of wine last night because we started before the party, we drank at the party, and then we went to a bar after the party. Um, I ate the dinner at the party and I ate the um, pepperoni pizza after the party. And, you know, I woke up this morning, I was like, ugh. I did not like that. And so tonight, um, some of my girlfriends were asking, hey, do you want to get together? And I was like, nope, opting out of that. Did that yesterday. Not doing it again today. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, it would be so nice to be <laughs> you know, go a couple of days. But, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, yeah. you're, you're making the healthy choice. Yeah, I mean, seriously, it happens. And, you know, like when you talk yeah. about um, tolerance for alcohol, I mean, I was not the driver. I would never drive um, after drinking like that. But, I mean, I was like, I, I could have kept drinking. Like it's, you know, so it's, so I do have a high tolerance. You have to watch that. And it's not because I've been drinking on a regular basis an extended amount. It's just, you know, that's just what I can handle, which that's not good. That was a whole bottle of wine in one night. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, when I do hear of some clients or friends or um, just people in general consuming that much on a regular basis, um, that's a lot. So actually, can you share with us um, real quick, because I find this very interesting. What are the standards for, um, you know, like the there's there's a guideline put out there where it says X number of drinks, this number of days for men. This is this is for women. What are those numbers? Um, OK, so it's, you know, you have to be there's a lot of factors that are involved in that. And okay. You have to be um, careful because. I mean, if you're consuming one glass of wine seven days a week, you know, you got to be careful. I mean, you have to kind of look at that as, like, are you 
you know, again, are you using that for a coping mechanism? Because as a counselor, I mean, we're asking you a lot of different questions, um, you know, involved in this. But, I mean, as a rule of thumb, I mean, if you're having four to five drinks over the course of a week, depending on if you're spreading those out or if you're consuming, like, four to five drinks in one evening, like, a couple times a week, you know, you're not, number one, you're not being completely honest. They're like, oh, no, I only have four to five drinks. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, I do know. I've logged my drinking. Not only for yourself. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, it's paying attention to those things because you know we try to, I guess, kind of skim over those numbers a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so that's oh. why, as counselors, we're asking like a lot more questions. But yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, because I've seen I've seen those numbers and they seem low until you start recording it. And and, I mean, I guess this was I did a a pretty big photo shoot um, last fall. And so I started prepping for that in the summer. And so I started I, you know, I really only log my food whenever I'm prepping for something like that. If it's pretty serious, otherwise I just kind of live. But um, I started logging everything and I started logging my alcohol consumption. And that was the biggest eye opener because I was like, oh, yeah, I have like one or two glasses of wine a week. And that was so not true. I was having like two to three glasses of wine, like four nights a week. Like, <laughs> But it wasn't until I sat down and wrote it down that I was like, oh, oh, it's that much. Oh, yeah. So it, it's. It's, it is a slippery slope, and it happens pretty quickly. It's easy to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's very easy to do, especially, you know, if you're out there having a good time, like you did last night, you were having a good time, and then you're looking at it today going, oh, wow, you know, that was probably a lot more than I really intended. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. So kind of the guidelines really are, you know, kind of subjective, I would say, to most people. But, you know, being aware of the reasons you're drinking – and really being honest, and you don't have to necessarily be honest with, like, everybody around you, but being honest with yourself, you know, like, you were stuck when you started to log all this stuff. Oh, I was. Well, and then um, I was honest with my clients, because I was like, holy crap, if I'm doing this, I know y'all are doing it. Some of you, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's easy to try to, you know, change the numbers a little bit, you know, just like some people... With their age, you know, or their, their weight, you know, we all do it some way or Absolutely. another. But, um, so kind of the guidelines, I guess I would say, is no more than really nine drinks per week is kind of what some of the statistics say um, for women, that is, and no more than 14 per week. So we're talking about, like, that's an entire seven period, seven days yeah. period. Okay. So, um, and consuming more than three drinks is considered you know, a little bit higher than moderate drinking. Okay. So I binged, I was binge drinking last night. You were binge drinking last night. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a bummer. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but it, I think it is just being aware of it and, and um, you know, and and just thinking like, oh, that's, you know, maybe not what I want to do next time. Um, so let's talk. I, actually, I want to do this little thing um, where I'm going to ask you a few phrases. So I'll say the phrase and then you tell me, like, if there is any problem with that or what the problem might be. Or maybe, you know, play a little devil's advocate where you could see it both ways. Um, so one of the things that we kind of already covered, but I think it's really important because I hear it all the time, is I just need a drink to take the edge off. Now, I see that as, as a little bit of an issue because maybe you're kind of sidestepping what you really need to, 
to handle. And, you know, that that thing that you're sidestepping, it may or may not resolve itself. So what do you think about when you hear that phrase? I just need something to take the edge off. Yeah, I think actually, Stephanie, you, you hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, pretty much it's you're, you're using it as a coping mechanism. Um, you're, like you said, you're trying to avoid something because there's something you don't really want to face, but you're just like, well, you know, I'll just pour a little alcohol and it'll be fun. Um, you know, and, and in some cases, I'm not going to say that that's like the worst thing possible, but at the same time, you know, that's where you have to do some of that, like, okay, what is the reason I'm drinking? You really need to figure that one out um, before you actually consume that alcohol because if you're using that as a phrase, more chances than not that one glass can turn to can turn to three and mm-hmm. you wake up the next morning not feeling so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so something else would be... Um, I don't really feel like going out to drink, but all my friends are doing it. So, you know, I guess, I guess I'm going out. Peer pressure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Find some new friends yeah, that, I mean, you don't have to get rid of your old friends, mama. but. <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah. That's the first thing that comes to my mind is peer pressure. Um, just because everybody else is doing it, you know, doesn't mean you have to do it too. You know, that's the, like lemmings, you know, they jump out, they all jump off the ledge at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. If they're your <laughs> friends, they're going to understand when you don't want to have that drink. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And just, I think at, I think, a you know, a strategy is to add in friends that I really don't, um, necessarily enjoy drinking so much. Like I'm so lucky. My boyfriend really, he's not much of a drinker at all. Um, so that's really nice that, you know, we, we find other things to do besides just drinking and you do have to be a little more creative. Like there's no doubt about that. And I've had clients that I've had phone conversations with and they'll say, Hey, Stephanie, I noticed that you were very, um, you're very active and you do a lot of things. Um, you know, this is, this is just one example, but, um, so my husband and I, we have X number of children. And so we actually, for entertainment, we usually stay at home and cook and drink. What else can we do in place of that? Um, so I personally, I was, I, you know, I said, cause I get this question on a regular basis and, and, you know, you have to be a little bit creative, but you know, even like things that you might think are silly, but playing board games are fun. Um, replacing the alcohol with something else that you're going to drink, hot tea, something like that. Um, what are some other strategies that maybe you give some of your clients? Oh gosh. Um, there's so many out there and mm-hmm. especially with kids. I mean, you can, go for bike rides, go for walks, like have the kids come up with an idea of what they want to do, um, go into a park. Um, you know, if you live in an area where there's a lot of activities, it's always just like planning ahead, looking to see, you know, what's going on in the neighborhood, you know, this coming week. I know here locally we actually have a community center that they have something going on almost every single weekend. Um you know, in the town, there was, I think, about two months straight where they put on some kids' movies, like, um, I think, PG to PG-13 movies in the park, so families can go there. You know, and, and you're right, you really do have to start getting creative because we're socially wired to go, well, to have a good time, I need to go to the bar or I need to go to the restaurant and have a drink there. And it's so um, easy. I mean, how much easier is it to be like, hey, let's just grab a drink? Okay, no thought. Yeah. We'll just sit down and drink this stuff. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I fall prey to that That's a lot. Easy. And, and like you, I was like, my boyfriend, fortunately, you know, he's not a big drinker. So he actually comes up with a lot more ideas sometimes than I do. <laughs> You know, yeah, like so. we've, one night we, uh, yeah, we were like, what are we going to do that doesn't involve eating and drinking? And so we went and played mini golf and we played video games and then we went and watched a movie. Um, there were some go-karts involved. So it's, yeah, you do. And, and we walked the bridge a lot, which is, I mean, we have this really nice big bridge here. It's like a five and a half mile walk over and back. Um, so we do that a lot, but, um, yeah, so you got to get a little bit creative, uh, come up with some yeah. other stuff to do. Um, yeah, so actually, I want to take a quick break. I have two more really big questions that I want to talk to you about um, when we come back. So we'll be right back. This song goes out to all you fellas who think your kisses are as sweet as candy. But honey, got you beat by a million miles. Your kiss is sweet, as sweet as candy. But honey, beat your kisses by a million miles. Your kiss I'll sacrifice for you, I'll even do wrong for you, oh baby. And welcome back to the Stop Chasing Skinny radio program, where every Tuesday night you can find us here on KineticHiFi.com from 9 to 10 p.m. Um, so we have Anne tonight, and we are talking about, um, we have been talking about alcohol, mostly. That's her um, her experience. I've had a lot of experience with alcohol, alcoholism in my family, in some of my relationships. Um, I see it um, sometimes in clients. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's sad because it, it takes away the joy of life and it can, it can be a very slippery slope. You can end up in a really bad place really quickly, or you could slowly end up in a really bad place. Um, either way, it's not going to lead you to where you want to go. And, and, you know, it's just a very temporary bandaid for the most part. Um, so I want to, I want to talk to Anne too about, um, Something else that I read a book about, because Anne works with um, um, chemical dependency, too. So just in general, not just alcohol. I read this really interesting article, and it was on moms who are addicted to Adderall. And if you haven't heard of Adderall, Adderall is um, a medication that's given to people to combat um, hyperactivity, which... Well, I, that could be controversial. So anyway, that's what the medication is for. Um, but this article was talking about a lot of moms having their kids be prescribed this medication. So taking their kids in and, you know, having the medication be prescribed to their children and then them actually filling the prescription um, and using it themselves. So um, it was just, it was a really interesting article. I just, you know, since I have somebody on here um, who deals with this, I just wanted to talk to Anne a little bit about it and see if there's anything that you've seen on that. Um if you've seen it, like, you know, as being a teacher before um, or anything like that, um, how is this a problem? One, because some people are like, well, is it really a problem? Um, and then, you know, just your experience with it. Yeah. Uh, when you first posed this question, I was like, oh, my goodness, no. Um, <laughs> and what, what I kept thinking was, like, you know, the, the medication, first of all, is not prescribed to you, you know, as a <laughs> right. mom, it's prescribed to your child. So number one, you're taking medications away from your own child. Um, you know, number two, 
you know, there's the fact that you're using something that's not prescribed to you is you're using it incorrectly. You know, and then if you're taking more, if you were even prescribed and if you're taking more, then, or you're using it to just get your errands done to get that extra perk, you're not using them the way that they're intended to. And that's what abusing the medication is, um, is not using it for its intended purpose. So there's a lot of things wrong with that scenario. You know, it's, it's great to have that extra little pick-me-up, but you're doing several things you know, just, um, you know, incorrectly. I mean, you're really, you're abusing the medication. You're taking medication for your child. <laughs> to, if they were prescribed that, hopefully that was something they needed. Um, you know, and at the same time, it's like you're teaching your children, like, it's okay to, to have the medication that's not yours. And, yeah, and, and in, that's... in a sense, I mean, you're, the taking of the Adderall when it's not prescribed for you and you're on this little high, they're seeing you on this high. Yeah. And, and they're and, saying, oh, I'm, I'm I, moving fast. You can do this. Yeah, you can do this. I think it's, um, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if, um, so I'm not a parent. Um, I have a dog and, you know, he's, he's just a dog. So I can remember though, like I can, re- my memory as a child is ridiculously sharp. And so, you know, for parents to think like maybe their kids, oh, they're just kids. They don't know what's happening. Kids know what's happening. They know way more than I think we ever give them credit for. And you're absolutely right on that. If you're, if you are setting the example for your child, um, and I mean, kids notice they really do. I mean, I, I know I can remember things from when I was a kid and I, and I remember when I would, I would, you know, not necessarily my parents, but anywhere. I mean, like you act like you don't know cause you're a kid and they think you don't know cause you're a kid, but kids are really smart. <laughs> so, okay. Well, thank you for talking about that. And I think that goes for any kind of prescription medication. I just thought it was really interesting to see, um, to see that article. Um, I think it was in a Cosmo and it was a while ago, but, um, Anyway, it was it was really eye opening to me. I didn't realize that this was this was an ongoing thing. Um, yeah, and for anybody that doesn't know where Adderall is, you do give it to somebody who has ADHD and or 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 whatever um, attention deficit disorder, and it makes them just be able to concentrate. But for anybody who doesn't have um, ADD or ADHD, it makes you like it like does your to-do list for you. I'm not doing that as a, like you should not try it. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm trying to say too, that you don't really know what's going to happen with medication, in your brain chemistry, especially if you don't need it. So that's kind of, that's kind of scary. It's a, it's something that you need to think about, um, long-term too. Um, and so the next thing I want us to talk about is, um, this was really, really interesting. Um, and I have to say too, like I, uh, I have known people who have given up alcohol and then they have this wicked, wicked um, sh- uh, sweet tooth. So you sent me a couple articles, which we will add to the show notes in here just as links, um, talking about um, sugars and the link to addiction. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So um, the sugar, and, and this is what we actually find a lot of the times with um, the population that I work with, is when they're off of like the alcohol or, you know, the whatever their substance of choice was, you know, they're starting to actually increase the amount of sugars that they're eating. And that's what they're craving now 
they're not having the cravings for the alcohol or the other substances. They're having cravings for sugar because it's replacing um, whatever the substance was that they were addicted to. So kind of, I mean, it's the same, it's almost the same thing. It's just now they're just replacing it. And as an addict, you have to be really careful because addicts are going to be addicts for life. I mean, there's a certain receptor that's in their brain that causes them to, like, whenever that little pleasure center is lit up, which is the reason why they use the alcohol or the substance, that little pleasure receptor gets lit up. And so every time they're looking for a new high, that's, that's what it is. It's that little receptor that we experience, um, you know, when we're working out or after a really good workout, um, after sex, um, you know, after eating some good chocolate. Yeah. You know, that, that is literally, it's the same little pleasure receptor that's hit every time. And the reason why, you know, I say chocolate is because a lot of us females do crave chocolate. And, you know, that's, that's the part that it goes to. It's the same little receptor. So it's a pleasure hormone, more or less. Okay. Um, and, and sugar hits that. So when we're seeking the sugar, it's literally to get that little, that little high. Oh, it makes me feel better. That's really interesting. It doesn't quite do it in the same manner as a substance, you know, like alcohol or, you know, cocaine or, um, or Adderall. You know, it doesn't hit it in the same sense, but, or as hard, I should say, but it's still hitting that same center. Yeah, they've done a lot of different brain scans recently that shows, um, I think it shows the brain whenever it's it's interacting with sugar. And um, that's been a really interesting uh, study that they've been doing because it does show just how addictive it is. So then, you know, so so addictions in general, how would somebody, like, could you go through the steps of what somebody would need, like different coping mechanisms, tools, coping mechanisms, that kind of thing. Um, how would, how does somebody take care of themselves if they've recognized that they have some sort of addiction? If you recognize that you have an addiction or even, you know, recognize that you have a problem, the first thing that I would suggest is like seeking some professional help. Um, you know, like I said, I did some of my own, you know, in the beginning of this show, I said I did some of my own work, but at the same time, I didn't get where I am today by myself. Right. Um, thank goodness that I had, you know, when I started my degree, I actually had every single one of my professors saying, you need to do your own work, you need to do your own work. So I listened because there was enough people saying, all right, you know, I guess I need to go to therapy, find out what this is about. That that little help, I still was going back and forth before I got my own help, you know, with am I an alcoholic, am I not? And so that was the topic of a lot of conversations with my therapist until finally he helped me, you know, to figure out, you know, that I wasn't an addict, but I have a problem. So that's the first thing that I would say is give some professional help because whatever you're doing now on your own, it's helpful to keep you from going over the edge, but you need somebody else to help you get healthy again and when we're in that gray area of going back and forth of am i am i not that is the slippery slope that you can go you can go either way very quickly um and and usually it's down the the slope the really bad slope so therapy number one um 
It's it's not as taboo as it used to be, I don't think. Um, no, I mean, really, like, that. seriously, like, it's becoming like, oh, you don't have a therapist? What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, you know, your therapist, we're trained to, when when you're starting to do things on your own, when you're starting to think the way, you know, we're helping you to think, we're not going to keep you in therapy just because we want our paycheck. But that's not what our job is there for. Our job is to get you healthy so we can get somebody else in to help them. Yeah. So, so that's the first step that I would take. The second is if you have a substance use issue, I recommend going to AA meetings. Um, we, um, the company that I work for, Westbridge, um, it, it's hugely involved with, with the AA um, community because it works. It's proven to work. It's been around since I believe 1938. Um, you know, something like that that's been around for that long and has helped as many people as it's helped, there's something going on in there that's working. <laughs> so if anything, you know, even if you don't find that you completely believe that you're an alcoholic, um, or that you have a substance use issue, even just going to a couple meetings and learning about the 12 steps, learning about the the, the community, they're there to help you. Um, the 12 steps is literally a guideline um, for a healthy lifestyle in general. There's no bones about it. You can take those 12 steps whether you are, you know, deeming yourself an alcoholic or not. And you can take those 12 steps and use them in your life. Yeah, you can apply um, it to any area of your life, basically, right? Absolutely. It, um, you know, I've had some people who didn't buy in completely to the whole AA community, but they said, you know what? Even though I don't really feel that I fit that bill, I really like how this, this sets you up for a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, because it's all about self-discovery, right? And and knowing yourself better. And that's where we get into trouble. I feel like it's, it's when we're not really sure what's going on with us and, you know, like anxiety or depression or, um, and then you kind of just mask it and you don't realize like what's happening. I actually just put a post out, um, last week. I, I re reissued it. I did it a couple years ago. Um, that was how to naturally avoid the winter blues. And what I kept seeing with myself and with my clients was that, in the winter, we um, we are we you know we're naturally meant to slow down a little bit. Um, you know we haven't evolved to the point where we're supposed to go so hard all year round. Electricity's only been around for a couple hundred years or so, and um, before that, you know once once those shorter days started, you went to bed, and you rested, and you rejuvenated during the winter. And you know now that we have this go 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 lifestyle, what I see is as soon as the time changes. Um, a lot of us keep at that same pace that we were going before and we have these expectations for ourselves, but we can't necessarily keep up because our bodies and our minds are naturally like, no, let me rest a little bit. Let's chill out just a tiny bit. And, um, you know, so then you start to feel overwhelmed because you're not meeting the expectations you have for yourself. And that overwhelm turns into some anxiety. And then you think you're depressed because you're sleepy all the time. But really, it's just your natural like hibernation state. Um, so I think it's just kind of reframing some stuff and trying to figure that stuff out. Um, which is, I mean, that's kind of my understanding of AA too, right? It's like to understand like, why am I feeling this way? How can I reframe it? How can I make it 
not, you know, not just mask it with, with whatever substance I want to mask it with. Does that, does that sound about right? And that's, yeah. And that's actually too where the, where the mental, you know, imbalance part of it comes in too, because a lot of, I mean, the AA, like I said, is, is a guideline for a healthy lifestyle. Um, highly recommend it. But, you know, in true AA, some people have been able to handle their other underlying mental issues and, and have been able to face those because that is part of the AA, facing, almost facing your demons, if you will. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's really what it is, is it, it's helping you to do that. Those are the guidelines. But having that professional behind you to really help you get deeper into that because, you know, some people have the ability to work the work the 12 steps and they've had enough, inter, you know, have enough abilities to be able to do the inner work needed to do. But, you know, it does make it harder. It makes it a lot harder to do it by yourself. And it does take a lot longer. Well, and um, I, I like your description of AA too, where they, they know all the excuses and they can call you out when you're being dishonest with yourself or others. And, you know, that's, we do that. I do it. I know I do it. I like it when people call me out on stuff because we all, you know, we try to get into our comfort zones and we try to stay there. And sometimes that means, you know, like lying to ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, they, they've been there. I mean, when you stepped into a room, um, you know, at an AA meeting, every single one of those people has been in the same spot you are just walking in that door. You know, so they, they know it. They know it all. They've heard all the stories. They've been through some of the stuff that you've been through. They know it. So if you're lying, they're, they're going to be the first one to be able to say, uh, you're lying. So how about we start getting honest here? And, you know, that's part of how it works because they, you know, alcoholic knows another alcoholic. An addict knows another addict. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You've been there. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's a substance, if it's a behavior, if it's a, you know, it, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like, uh, like being, you know, I said it a little bit earlier, too. It's like being honest with yourself is the best thing that you can do. Um, you know, and being honest with, with a professional. Because I know sometimes sometimes, you know, you're, you're, I'm sitting in a, a session and I know that the person isn't being completely honest because they're skirting around, you know, the subject. And the best thing to do, you know, is, is just be honest because once you're honest with yourself and with others, then the work starts. But until you're able to be honest, um, you're going to be stuck in the same spot. Yeah. Yep, that's that's very well said. I see that all the time. I try to, you know, that that's something I'm always working on with myself because I want to be honest with myself and what I want and, um, you know, being able to distinguish between, um, you know, like the, the pressures, the outside pressures. And, you know, I think that's that's very, that's what you were talking about with when you decide to sit down and have a drink, you know, wh- why are you having it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 about honesty, and and I will be the first person to say I'm not always 100% honest with myself. None of us <laughs> you know, are. I tell myself those little white lies too. Oh, we but, we all do know. it. We really do. It's to what degree though, you know, and how far do yeah. we let it go, and and then do we want to do the work to get better, or do we just surround ourselves by people that are going to um, help, 
perpetuate that problem, you know? And, and I guess that's one more thing that I want to kind of, you know what, let's wrap it up kind of on this and unless there's something else you want to say once I'm finished. But, um, you know, I, I once read this in a, um, in a book called Women, Food, and God. And um, I haven't read a lot of books on um, alcoholism or, or substance abuse necessarily, but um, in the book Women, Food, and God, what they were saying is that, um, you know, and this is kind of where peer pressure comes from, um, because if you have a group of you and one person starts doing better, and for the women, food, and God, that one person would be losing the weight that everybody else is talking about losing. Um, if, you have a, if you also have a group of friends that like to drink a lot, um, you know, if they're not going anywhere in life, they don't necessarily want to see you going anywhere either. So they would much rather pressure you into saying, oh, no, 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 just stay here and just drink with us. And, you know, who cares? Like, it's, it's this... You know, because once you break that cycle, like say, for example, I see this and I was a part of it, um, you know, so you work all week and all you're doing is trying to get to the weekend. Oh, give me that weekend. Give me that weekend. You get to the weekend and then, you know, you start drinking. Well, I don't know. A lot of people Thursday night's a good night because Friday you just got to get through and Friday night. Well, we're celebrating the week. Gosh, thank goodness that week's over. And then you have Saturday, which of course, everybody goes out and drinks on Saturday. And then you have Sunday that may start off with like a drink at brunch and who knows where it goes after that. But it's Sunday fun day. And the next thing you know, it's Monday morning. You feel like crap. You didn't do anything to get yourself further in life. And you show back up to a job that you hated. You know, like that's I see that a lot. And if you try to break out of that, some of those people who are living that life, they don't want to see you break out of that. So they're like, well, you're weird. Why aren't you drinking? Well, no, I was actually working on something over the weekend that was more important than trying to forget about my week that's going to come around anyway. So I see that a lot too. And if you find yourself in that, get out of it. It sucks. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and that's kind of where I was, you know, when I had my own issues is, is that's where I was and I had to get out of, um, you know, like I said, I had to do a lot of work. I had to separate myself from the the people, places, things. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the people that were toxic to me and to what I was trying to do with my life and I was trying to change so I needed to cut all of those people out and I'm not going to say that that was an easy thing to do because it never is because you think wow you know these are really great people I'd love to you know keep hanging out with them but if they're toxic to you if they're not helping you then they're not really that good of a friend and they're not probably worth being around so you know it's it's a difficult thing, but it's also part of that, part of that work. And, and, you know, if you want to, if you're truly committed to change in your life in any way, shape or form, then you've got to be committed to doing those types of things too and cutting out, going to the same bar, going to the same restaurant, going, hanging out with the same friends. You've got to change it. It's not saying that you don't ever see those people, but maybe cutting back on how many times a week you're actually spending time with them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And some things just, some things trigger you. I remember one night I was sitting there and um, Stephen was watching some football and I glanced over and it was this ad for beer and all of a sudden I totally wanted a beer. And I was like, why why do I totally want a beer? I don't. (laughs) I saw a commercial for it. Made me want one real bad. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. And, you know, cutting that stuff out, that is hard. And change is hard. Change is really hard. So, um, but we can only change ourselves too, right? So... Yeah. That's always something to, to keep in change. mind. Yes. Yes. Willing to change. 
Well, thank you so much for this, Anne. Um, you gave us some really great show notes. So anybody listening, um, check the show notes out. There's links to those articles that I was talking to about sugar and addiction. Um, you can find um, Anne's contact information. So if you, especially if you live in Florida, uh, you can find Anne's contact information there. Um, and, you know, if you, if you are experiencing any of this stuff where you, you know, you question it a little bit, try giving it up for a little bit. And if you can't give it up, that's, that's a sign. Um, you know, so that's, life is so much better whenever you're not living it from one hangover to the next. Believe me, like I said, I know, I mean, I was in the Navy. I drank a lot. I was hungover a lot. I did stupid stuff. I'm so not proud of, (laughs) but, um, you know, like, (laughs) right. (laughs) We did stuff that, it was stupid together, and <laughs> yes, yes, we did. Those, yes, we those did. were some fun days. So, I mean, I would never take any of that back, but you know, like you do look back on it and you're like, really, what was I thinking? But, um, I don't know. I also like the quote, you can never be old and wise if you were never once young and dumb. So, <laughs> just be smart, be safe. Um, you know, don't let it control your life. That's that's really no fun way to live. Um, we only have so many days on this earth, and I like to spend most of them not hungover. So, um, Anyway, thanks again for your time tonight, and I hope you enjoyed the interview, and we will see you next week. It's a tricky situation.